Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Time to take a look at headlines out of the United States. Top of our list, uh, U.S.-India relations entering a new chapter. Perhaps we're looking at uh, more tech and defense deals here. Well, this comes after India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the U.S. President Joe Biden announced a slew of technology and defense deals last week. Yep. Uh, Plus, the week ahead, uh, we're expecting uh, Mr. Biden to be in Chicago. He's going to be giving a major economic address. uh, Well, at least that's according to the White House. So all the details have not been released yet, but (laughs) this will happen this week. So we're paying close attention to this. Yep. So we're expecting like uh, President Biden to outline his vision for the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing his administration call it Bidenomics. I don't know. It's kind of a little bit too late to be naming an economic policy as he is seeking a second term. Yeah. They should have done this four years ago, really, if you ask me. But oh well, you know, they know what they're doing. Let's get more insight from Pushandit, Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Professor, good afternoon. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Let's start off with uh, U.S.-India announcing a defense and chips deal at the White House. Um, I think there are agreements between GE, Micron, General Atomics. Tell us a little bit about these new U.S.-India deals. Uh, have they or are they set to live up to expectations? So I think those are flurry of agreements, mainly on defense and technology. So the big deal, in my view, is the one with GE where they agreed to make fighter jet engines. It required approval both from the U.S. government and from General Electric. The big thing about this deal is that it's not just about selling jet engines, which will be used in combat aircraft, but it's about a transfer of technology. And this is very important from India's perspective because of what is happening in Russia, right? So Russia has prioritized supplying forces in Ukraine, and uh, this has set back India's defense preparedness. I'm sure they looked at the coup or mutiny or whatever you call it last weekend in Russia, yeah. and they, India must have gotten even more worried about it. So, and apart from that, of course, Micron is setting up a chip assembly uh, in Gujarat, which is Modi's home state. The U.S. semiconductor toolmaker Applied Materials is setting up a new engineering center. Apple's already started. Tesla, Foxconn, Amazon are all planning investments. So I think there might be more investments down the road, which I think would be very good for India in terms of transfer of technology, generation of jobs, etc. Now, Professor, of course, we know China is uh, miles ahead when it comes to technological innovation. So is this move uh, part of efforts to blunt China's growth in this sector? In China, there is the deteriorating relations with the U.S., So China looms large in all calculations. So just look at all the deals which are happening with India. They are on two, they're in two sectors, defense and technology. And, you know, semiconductors actually span both of these two sectors. And the economic clash between U.S. and China are the most uh, worrying, uh, the most extreme about transfer of technology, especially dual use semiconductors. So what the U.S. has been trying to do is that it is systematically creating a ring of alliances in an effort to contain China, right? So, you know, they're strengthening ties with South Korea and Japan. They've got the Quad. They've got the AUK-US, which is Australia, UK, US. They have a defense pact with Papua New Guinea. They lead bases in Philippines, even leaving ties with Singapore. So India is sort of like a natural partner because India has had a long ongoing tensions with China and the two actually went to war in 1965. China is not just ahead technologically, it's also ahead in terms of defense. So if there is hostilities between India and China, India will need U.S.'s help in order to deal with this.
All right. Uh, Professor, I want to double back to uh, talking about the political impact on President Biden's 2024 election in just a bit. Uh, but there are a couple of issues uh, also to talk about. We're expecting him to travel to Chicago for a re-election fundraiser. And he's going to talk about uh, his economic achievements and his own outline for the U.S. economy. People are calling it Bidenomics. Um, <laughs> what exactly is Bidenomics in this sense, And considering that he's at the end of his first term? So Bidenomics, actually, the name term never originated with Biden. It originated with a bunch of economist bloggers. You know, they put a structure to the kind of policies he was trying to uh, create. And uh, basically, there are like, I would say there are three pillars to Bidenomics, even though Biden never has never used the term, even if he might use it going forward. Uh, the three things are investment in, in infrastructure, combating climate change, mm-hmm. and jobs and rising wages to reduce inequality. And Biden has actually done pretty well, uh, you know, in a bipartisan fashion. He's delivered an infrastructure bill. Keep in mind, Trump's, you know, said every week was infrastructure week, but nothing actually happened. But now they've uh, got a trillion dollar infrastructure bill in hand. Unemployment rates have come down that at 3.7%. They're the lowest. And, you know, wages have been increasing, especially for blue collar workers, which has kept a lid on inequality. Inequality actually has been coming down, especially income inequality. And finally, the climate bill, which they call the Inflation Reduction Act for mysterious reasons. This will actually also help generate jobs and help combat climate change. So I think uh, overall, there are two messages that Biden will try to send. One, that he is the president of all of America because a lot of this infrastructure and jobs are being created in red America. And the second big message will be that government can actually work for the people by creating jobs, infrastructure, reducing inequality, etc. But he does have to, have to work on messaging. Democrats are terrible at this. <laughs> well, speaking of that, with all these uh, successes uh, and policies that you mentioned, will this be enough to see Biden second term for uh, the president's office next year? The big thing, which, which is a hiccup for Biden, is a risk for Biden, is inflation. Mm. So all the other numbers look good. Consumer spending has held up. Unemployment is low. Income is, is declining. But uh, inflation remains worryingly elevated and very stubborn in terms of coming down. Uh, this is a big concern for Republicans. This is a big concern for all of the voters. So yes, inflation is coming down. But the problem that uh, not just Biden, but all U.S. presidents face is that they actually don't control inflation. It's the U.S. Federal Reserve which is a big player in inflation. Mm-hmm. And the second big role in inflation is oil and gas prices, where the Russians, Chinese, Indians, etc., have a, have a big say. So this is completely beyond Biden's control. So I think the big risks are either inflation stays elevated or the Federal Reserve raises interest rates rapidly and triggers a recession. If there's a recession, then I think Biden is going to have a very difficult chance winning the election, except one scenario where Trump is his only opponent. Speaking of Trump, uh, it seems that Republicans are taking steps to expunge the former U.S. president's two failed impeachment impeachments rather from his record. What are the odds uh, that he could be unimpeached, if that's a word? So I think nobody really understands what this means. Everyone, including you, touching their heads. So impeachment is not like a traffic ticket that you can just simply get rid of, right? <laughs> so. So, like, even if they pass a resolution in the House, which the Republicans control, you know, the impeachment articles went to the Senate, and they cannot get rid of the Senate record. Second, everybody from journalists to voters, everyone knows that Trump got impeached. So I'm not sure what this means. Uh, I think this is just posturing on part of a, uh, a section of the Republican Party because they, you know, they allowed 
the debt ceiling disaster, you know, they did not actually hold the U.S. economy hostage to the debt ceiling. You know, they raised the debt ceiling, and part of the base is very annoyed, and the Speaker McCarthy is just... Uh, you know, letting them run with this. Wouldn't it be fascinating if they don't succeed to unimpeach Trump and he wins as the first president who was impeached twice to become president again? Wouldn't that be a better comeback story for uh, Mr. Trump? Actually, I can think of even stranger scenarios where, <laughs> where, where Trump is actually sitting in prison and is still running for president because there are, there are three or four cases running. It seems legally he can be sitting in prison yeah. and run for president, then he can pardon himself and then saunter into the White House and, you know, die all of us in for four years. Well, in a world of American democracy, anything can happen. I want to buy the movie rights to that. <laughs> We've been speaking to Bushan Did, who is Professor of Economics at INSEAD. Professor, as always, we do appreciate your time. Take care and have a great week ahead. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.